This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Majority Report, The David Pakman Show, The Rachel Maddow Show, Counterspin, The Young Turks, and The Media Matters Minute. When Janine first approached me to do the majority report on Air America with her eight, almost nine years now, um, I, I, I really felt like the, we need to build a left infrastructure that is self-supportive. Particularly when you're, starting, when you're talking about, one of the things, I, I just interviewed um, uh, for uh, the break, Christopher Freeland. And uh, one of the things that she uh, says is that it's very difficult to talk about. It's only very recently that you hear anybody on the left even talking about income inequality. And a significant reason for that is, is because where most of the people on the left are employed and employed to talk about political issues, they are dependent on the largesse of very wealthy people. And while there are, of course, some millionaires and billionaires who, are, who accept the reality of that we have a tremendous income inequality problem in this country, that um, no one just becomes a millionaire and a billionaire by the fact that they work hard or they're just smart, that there's a certain amount of luck uh, involved in it, and they also get certain benefits from society that people who are not millionaires and billionaires get don't get. They have been able to make this money because of the infrastructure that has been paid for by taxes, uh, by the growth of the middle class, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But if you are working at the Brookings Institute or um, whatever left-wing think tank or policy shop or whatnot, there are some things that they are just going to get you in hot water with your, um, with your benefactors. And uh, on this program, I d- sadly don't have that problem. <laughs> I d- I'm not going to piss off George Soros, or I may piss off George Soros, uh, but he ain't, there's really not much he can do about it. I guess he could theoretically buy the internet and then just sort of, um, you know, squeeze my bandwidth or something. But aside from that, I don't have to worry that, like, I get off the show and Matt or Michael turn to me and go, you shouldn't have said that, dude, because you're going to get a call from so-and-so. Now, that cuts both ways, <laughs> which is why it's nice to have uh, a sponsor, you know, the potential for a, <clears throat> excuse me, a big sponsor like Credo. Um, because I, I can tell you, I've heard many, many stories like the one that Becky told about, uh, Chris Van Hollen's office calling Credo and saying, you got to stop, you got to get your people to stop calling us about this. And it's not just that they don't want to take the phone calls. They're worried that Chris Van Hollen is, it's going to, it's going to involve him having to raise more money, or it's going to involve him having to uh, deal with a challenge to his left, or it's going to involve um, efforts to bring out his voters. They're worried about it. 
I've had many of those conversations, and I would say almost to a person, if I said, would you ever come on my show and say that, they would say no. Because that's part of our inside game and retelling that story is out of bounds. Then we, instead of have a pressuring relationship, it, it goes too far. And the fact that she could tell us that story, I, I both enjoyed and it, it, I'm, I'm happy about it. Because I can, I can assure you that a group that relied on outside contributions could not tell that story. Because they need to have access to that congressman's office. Well, I won't back down. No, I won't back down. You can stand me up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. Gonna stand my ground, won't be turned around. And I'll keep this world from dragging me down, gonna stand my ground. And I won't back down. Fox News viewers' average age is 65 years old. Interesting. Who has the most watched news network in all the land? Fox News. Who has the oldest audience in all of cable news? Also Fox News, Lewis. If I had to guess who had the oldest audience, I would have guessed Fox News for sure. This is a survey released by analyst Steve Sternberg, and he says that Fox News has the oldest audience among the fully distributed cable networks and that their average viewer last season was 65 years old, according to Nielsen. Its viewers are even older than the viewers of the Hallmark Channel, the Military Channel, and the Golf Channel. Now, it's not like Fox is really that much of an outlier when it comes to cable news networks. CNN wasn't too far behind. Average age of 63. MSNBC average age of 50, 59. And CNBC, 52 years old. Now, what are the youngest fully distributed cable channels? This is interesting. Oxygen. Oxygen Network, followed by Bravo. And interestingly enough, VH1 Classic, which is the one that show, shows older stuff, than Travel, tra Travel Channel and TLC, all averaging about 42 years old. Now, if ever there is an indication of how the news horizon the news channel atmosphere is changing, it is those numbers. Because when you compare to our audience, 70% of which is under 55 years old, half of which, almost half of which is under 44 years old, we're clearly seeing, we may not even really be seeing a shift. There is some of it, somewhat of a shift going on. But it's also just the pie is changing. In other words, there are people who are just, rather than switch, I don't think, think that most of our audience is switching to us from Fox News. It's just people who otherwise weren't consuming news are starting to, and it's shows like this, Sam Cedar, The Young Turks, etc. Right, so 20 years from now, what do you see Fox News' situation looking like, unless they That's fundamentally the thing. change what they do? Do we become Fox News in 20 years so that the same audience sticks with us? Are we just seeing a change in what and who and how news is consumed and by I don't know Natan what do you think it's hard to say I mean yeah. Fox News is like a relatively new creation and so I mean, is uh, so is this type of program that we do right but uh, but what I'm saying is Fox is kind of more to the right than the mainstream conservatives and the mainstream Republican Party was even 15 to 20 years before then so it's almost a move to the right not an accurate portrayal of what happens to an adult 
when right. they get older. For sure, for sure. Yeah, I think we're in a new, we're, it's uncharted territory. Yes, very hard to predict what will happen, especially considering that news stations and, and media outlets can change and adapt. So, who knows Absolutely. what will Here's a weird detail about campaign logistics. When they are in full campaign mode, presidential candidates scramble from event to event very quickly, sometimes three or four or five in one day. And of course, they don't travel alone. They haul their aides and their entourages along. They also take with them the reporters covering their campaigns. The way it works traditionally is that many campaign reporters are transported around by the candidate because the schedule's so intense and so fluid that that can basically make it impossible for news outlets to arrange for their own reporters' travel and logistics independent of the campaign. So the campaigns end up taking a bunch of reporters with them everywhere they go. They sort of take responsibility for their press pool. And that means they even feed the reporters and put them up in hotels. It's like a big carpool. If all the kids in the carpool were trying to catch the driver of the carpool saying something really embarrassing all the time. But even though the campaign takes responsibility for arranging the room and board and travel of the reporters who are covering their candidate, that doesn't mean that the campaign pays for those things for the reporters. That would be weird, right? That would be a strange relationship between the coverers and the coveree. And so to avoid that ethics weirdness, the arrangement that they make is this. News organizations promise in advance that they will pay the costs of their reporters' food and travel once the whole campaign is finished. The campaigns promise to charge reasonable prices for those things. They promise the charges will be tallied up after the campaign, and the news outfits promise to pay. It, it's not an official rule or anything, but that's the way it works. That is the way it has traditionally worked. Until this year. BuzzFeed was first to report that this year, a bunch of news outlets are taking the unprecedented step of contesting the charges from the Mitt Romney campaign because they say the charges are crazy expensive, like crazy, crazy expensive. A bunch of major newspapers, including the LA Times, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times and the Washington Post, as well as websites like BuzzFeed and Yahoo, have now sent letters to the Romney for President campaign protesting price gouging of the reporters. And from the details that they list, it kind of seems like they have a point. Quoting from the letter, we've dealt with numerous campaigns over the past decades and understand that we pay a premium to travel with a candidate. But recent invoices from your campaign have raised serious questions about the charges you have forwarded to us for travel with Mitt Romney. Por ejemplo, $745 per person charged for a vice presidential debate viewing party. The price for one meal and a hold on October 18th, $812. A hold is just a space where the press waits after one event before leaving for another event. On the, on the very next day, the price for a meal was $461. On October 30th, the price for food and a hold was $345. Quote, these costs far exceed typical expenses on the campaign trail. Also, oh, it was clear to all present that the campaign's paid staff frequently consumed the food and drinks ostensibly produced for the media. Were any of the costs of these events charged to the campaign itself to cover the care and feeding of its staff? 
The Romney campaign, the campaign of one of the richest men to ever run for president, charged reporters $812 for a meal. We do not know at this time exactly what that $812 meal consisted of. I hope it was this. For the record, this is a hamburger with a diamond on it. We actually searched various New York City restaurant websites today looking for the most expensive meals we could find, and we could not find an $812 per person meal, so this is our best estimation. The closest we could get, hamburger with diamond. She's a rich girl, she don't try to hide it, diamonds on the soles of her shoes. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. First off, I mean, I don't have much to say about this uh, this current thing, although unless you maybe aren't aware of it. Uh, it was announced yesterday uh, in the New York Times that current had been sold to Al Jazeera. Al Jazeera has a plan to basically take the real estate that current has uh, in terms of cable clearance and create a new network, maybe called Al Jazeera America, They'll use part of their Al Jazeera English uh, material and then create a, a new channel. It's unclear whether or not they're going to keep uh, the hosts at current or the staff there. Don't know. And uh, simultaneously, Time Warner Cable, which uh, current has about clearance in about 60 million homes across the country, much less than other uh, networks <clears throat> or other cable networks, Time Warner, which has about 12 million homes, basically said we're not going to approve the sale and it's going to cancel our clearance contract. Now, some people are saying this is because Time Warner is, uh, you know, they're uh, racist in some fashion. I don't think that's what it is. I think Current had so few viewers that they wanted to get out of this deal. And I'm not convinced that down the road they won't come back if Al Jazeera uh, America does well. But that, of course, is harder to do if you don't have access to a big swath of New York. And uh, the 12 million customers that uh, Time Warner um, uh, services. Now, you know, uh, look, when Current fired Keith Olbermann, they had basically, the clock was then ticking. Uh, something like this was going to happen. They had to sell now because I think their, uh, their ratings were beneath the threshold which would have maintained their clearances, uh, their contracts with places like Time Warner or uh, uh, others. I don't know this for sure, but that's my suspicion. The uh, network is fairly profitable because it gets, I think, somewhere around a dime per subscriber uh, as part of their carriage deals, which... Um, is a pretty impressive amount for something that's not being watched that much. Uh, I, you know, as far as I can tell, Al Jazeera, at least Al Jazeera English, is um, extremely legitimate news. Uh, 
And I think arguably more so than any of our American cable outlets are pretty darn close in a lot of respects. One of the things that really struck me, now, that bar is not that high. Don't get me wrong here, but I found this piece of DW, I think it was, .com. I'm not even sure what this is, but it was an interview with a longtime Berlin correspondent for Al Jazeera, a guy named Aktham Suleiman. Uh, he recently resigned from Al Jazeera, um, and he described the reasons why. He, he says, I have to say that professionalism is now lacking in Al Jazeera. Now, this is, t- this is really telling, because I want you to get a sense of what this guy's, this guy's standards are. He says they used to have it. They don't have it now. Um, it can be okay if an owner has an agenda as long as the operation has a high level of professionalism so that the owner's agenda does not bleed through. But he says, but that's precisely what didn't happen when efforts were obviously being made to impose out on Al Jazeera the agenda of the state of Qatar. It is owned by the state of uh, the nation of Qatar, Al Jazeera. And he's asked, uh, can you give an example of what you mean? And he says, the most important example is the conflict in Libya. Of course, Muammar Gaddafi was a dictator, and of course, he'd ruled for far too long. And of course, there was a desire among the Libyans to get rid of him. All that is clear. But it's also clear that killing a dictator, as happened with Gaddafi, is absolutely unacceptable on human rights grounds, revolution or no. And that's not emphasized. That is, we stressed the necessity of a revolution in Libya and the humanity of the revolutionaries, but said nothing about the murder of a dictator. And many others were killed after him, including, incidentally, the man who shot Gaddafi. He was killed by another group of revolutionaries. That's the actual environment in Libya, and that's exactly what you don't see on today's Al Jazeera. That's not professional. Can you for one moment imagine if this guy came and worked at an American news outlet, say, during the Iraq War, how shocked this guy would be at the level of total lack of professionalism. Never mind during the, the Libyan conflict. You know what? I specifically remember, I don't remember which news station, but a news station here in America, when Gaddafi was killed, I remember them going on and on about how there was a picture of the guy who shot Gaddafi and how awesome it was. He was wearing a New it, York Yankees hat. It, he was wearing a New York Yankees hat. It is, I mean, stunning. Just the fact, I mean, the fact that this guy would leave Al Jazeera because he doesn't feel that that level of professionalism is being kept is uh, the, you know, the, it would be like this. Imagine the guy gets up from, the, from a huge mattress, a 16-inch mattress, and says, I can't sleep there because there's the pee there underneath the mattress. And he gets onto the huge mattress that is the U.S. media. Uh, he would find that not only is there a peak, there is an entire mountain under there, and the mattress is on the precipice of the peak of that mountain, just bent like this, and the wind is blowing, and there's a massive storm coming through. Like, so just the fact that someone would leave Al Jazeera for, on that level of a standard, leads me to believe that Al Jazeera's standards are so much higher beyond what U.S. media standards are in this type of situation that it's almost impossible for us to comprehend. Uh, so, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a huge disservice to not allow uh... the american public access to this type of news because uh... clearly it's 
radical in the sense that they actually believe in a certain level of professionalism that I think we can't even conceive of in this country. So if, if Fox mentions this story, it will be a correspondent for Al Jazeera resigns because, they, because he said they covered the Middle East unfairly. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 you know, the other thing which you know, mentioned is that I don't necessarily have a problem with a, um, a media outlet that's owned by a foreign government, okay? Because at least there's a certain amount of transparency there, and then you can judge the product on that basis. But, I mean, uh, when you talk about lack of transparency, I don't know that I would feel comfortable with a media outlet owned by the U.S. government, at least domestically. Um, but when you talk about transparency, you know, NBC was owned by the number one arms dealer, one of the number one uh, top arms dealers in the world. Um, ABC owned by a huge media conglomerate that has a huge vested interest. Just got huge tax breaks in, um, uh, in this fiscal cliff deal. Uh, so there's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, conflict of interest when you're looking at the media. And as long as it's explicit, um, I, don't, I don't have an issue on that, uh, on that level. So I, I feel like you know, the fact that Time Warner's not going to carry it, I think, is a, a disservice to America. I know that time has numbered my days and I'll go along with everything you say. Hi, I'm Sam Cedar. You may know me from my shows on Air America Radio, from filling in for Keith Olbermann on Countdown, or even, God forbid, my directing shows like Comedy Central's I'm With Busey. If not, you should really get to know me. Not personally, of course. I think we'd both find that uncomfortable. But if you're a fan of the best of the left like me, I think you'll enjoy my daily live show and podcast, The Majority Report, at Majority.fm. It's a daily dose of political news, analysis, and guests like Chris Hayes, Robert Reich, Digby, comedians like Mark Marin, Janine Garofalo, filmmakers like Morgan Spurlock and Lucy Walker, and on occasion, between my rants on raising taxes, ending wars, and decorporatizing our democracy, I can be mildly amusing. I'm unbought and unbossed daily on the Majority Report at Majority.fm. But I'll be born without a Current TV has been sold to Al Jazeera, which reportedly has plans to launch an American channel sometime in the near future. What happens to Current's on-air hosts is, as of now, unclear, as are the distribution arrangements it has with cable providers. One major carrier, Time Warner in New York, promptly dropped Current from its lineup. The logic of the deal seems to be that Al Jazeera can finally find a way onto American cable television. Al Jazeera has tried, mostly without luck, to get cable operators to carry its English language channel. It does seem like when big news like the beginnings of the Arab Spring is breaking, Americans start tuning in to Al Jazeera English's website. So why can't you just watch Al Jazeera English the same way you might watch MSNBC or CNN or Fox News? Because cable operators don't want you to do that. When asked, they usually say it's a matter of too little space and too many channels. But it's hard not to conclude that perceptions about the political slant of Al Jazeera are a bigger problem than finding space on the dial. After all, most cable subscribers get a steady stream of news and commentary with a distinct point of view. Cable providers just want to ensure that viewers aren't exposed to the wrong point of view. 
We're seeing the fallout all across the mainstream media of the current sale to Al Jazeera. And because mm. uh, Bill O'Reilly is an employee of Fox News, he's contractually obligated to down on it in some fashion. And he's deciding not just to talk about Al Jazeera, but Al Gore specifically. So we've got a couple of interesting quotes from Bill O'Reilly regarding the hypocrisy of Al Gore. Let's watch the first. Back in 1948, little Al Gore was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. And maybe, maybe it should have stayed there. His father an oil man and a senator of the United States raised Al in privilege. And with all the comforts, he became a champion of the left in adulthood, cashing in big time on the global warming issue. The former vice president used some of that money to then invest in a far-left cable network that has been a colossal failure. And so Al and his merry men decided to sell that network. And according to the New York Times today, they wanted to close the deal last week to avoid the higher capital gains tax this year. Sounds like good business sense, right? All right, so I have many fun things to say just on that first clip. First of all, one of my favorite uh, Republican points is, well, if you're wealthy at some point, you should really be a jerk to everyone else and insist on more money for yourself. If you become a do-good liberal after you already have money, well, that would maybe make you a decent human being. And so they, <laughs> yeah, limousine liberal. Well, so you prefer the limousine conservatives who are like, I want all the money and I'm going to keep yep. it all for myself and I'm not going to do any good for anybody. Oh, well, congratulations. Well, these guys who fought Jimmy Carter tooth and nail every time he wanted to do anything regarding arms control with the Soviet Union, what they're asking for from people like Al Gore is unilateral disarmament. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. okay, we, you, the higher tax rates are there. Well, not for me. Only the left will pay a higher degree of taxes. I mean, look, yeah. the tax rates are there. Every businessman in the world's going to try and get in under the capital gains rate and get it at 15%, 20%. And by the way, it should be 35%. Yeah, and uh, unlike the conservative, uh, selfish uh, folks like Bill O'Reilly, he's saying the rate should be higher. You yeah, should be, yeah. for whatever money I made off this, you should charge me. I'm actively fighting for you to charge me so much more. Second of all, this is a conspiracy theory. I have no idea if it's true that they were trying to get it the sale before the year's end. They didn't. The sale was on January 2nd. Yeah. So this is all like conjecture, like, oh, since it was on January 2nd, they're actually paying higher taxes. That must mean that they were trying to pay lower taxes. But wait a minute. Well, <laughs> I, I don't even, if they I don't were trying that well. hard, maybe they could have gotten it on December 31st. They, they could have been trying and failed. They could I mean, have. They possible. could have, but they have no evidence of that. Yeah, that's right? true. In they, fact, the evidence is it closed on the next year where they paid higher taxes. I hope they tried to get it in on December <laughs> of 31st. Of course, I would do the same thing. Everybody would do the same thing. <laughs> right. Including Bill O'Reilly. Just because we think taxes should be higher so that we can build roads and bridges and hire cops and fire, etc. doesn't mean that we love taxes. Oh, oh yeah. I want to pay more. I personally, just out of the goodness of my heart, paid 89% taxes. Yeah. That's not how it works. That's not how human beings react. And then uh, my other favorite part of this, the 
hypocrisy of their criticism is, ah, Karen, what a colossal failure that was. That's why Al Gore got so rich through that enormous sale of current. But wait a minute, was it a failure or did he get rich? Right, yeah. Well, two other other things that are ridiculous there. One, he had to sneak in that it was Al Gore and his merry men, apparently (laughs) implying that he's in business with homosexuals or something like that. (laughs) No, he just got to do do little digs. (laughs) But I like that. It's 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 Robin Hood. Uh Yeah, exactly. Um, And the second is that... uh, Is he Robin Hood or is he greedy? They, They... Ties go in, ties go out. You can't explain it. (laughs) But I love also that, like, so he was the vice president. He gets out, and he really wants to cash in on something. So he chooses to make a documentary about global warming. So that's clearly, (laughs) if you want to make big money, that's the thing you'd do. (laughs) Yeah, that that makes no sense. But we got more from O'Reilly. Yeah. Just two months ago, old Al gave an interview to the Reuters News Service and said this. The single most popular proposal we had was to reduce taxes on working people and lift the higher rate. Let's give an incentive to work and let's ask the, the most fortunate in, in our society, including me and you, yep. uh, to, to, to do our fair share. Ah, oh, to do our fair share. Isn't that fascinating? So, what is our fair share? Well, I guess that means selling assets at the lower capital gains rate. Except, but does he believe he it or not? <laughs> he didn't do that. But uh, Fox News, as usual, you know how he says it's a spin-free zone? It's a fact-free zone. <laughs> so he takes the facts and actually spins them in the exact opposite direction. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Todd Gregory. On Meet the Press, Colin Powell criticized Republicans for having a dark vein of intolerance in some parts of the party. Conservative media figures quickly launched vicious attacks against him. Here's Laura Ingram. But it's, it's a very curious thing, right? Colin Powell went to the UN, he gave his testimony about weapons of mass destruction, he wrote in his memoir that uh, that was, you know, kind of a low point for him. He didn't have all the information. I, it, it, it seems that Colin Powell is trying to continue to expiate uh, for his sins of, of that testimony. So the, the weapon of mass destruction, Gretchen, has been found. The Democrats found it. It was Colin Powell. Okay? <laughs> it's, it's blowing up on the Republicans. But. And Fox's Megyn Kelly. Starts the interview by saying he's still a Republican, but whoa, with, uh, with friends like that within the Republican Party, who needs enemies? During the interview, Powell pointed to specific racially charged comments directed at President Obama during the recent presidential campaigns. For more on this and other stories, please visit MediaMatters.org. All right, let's get to this uh, story. Uh, This is quite impressive. Someone has revealed the formula that Glenn Beck and people like him use to essentially generate money as media outlets. This This is really an astonishing expose. It walks you through how these right wing outlets these constitution lovers, these so-called libertarian talkers, these so-called, you know, liberty first freedom guys, how they will basically exploit the human desire to have things explained in a rather simplistic way, which uncovers the real truth 
And this expose on what people like Glenn Beck did was done by a guy who I think it's going to shock you. His name, of course, was Glenn Beck. Here's where the little bit of truth comes in, where conspiracy theorists, and most likely you, can agree. And this is how, this is, if I'm Satan, this is how I do it every single time. I just take a little bit of truth and go, well, that, yeah, that's right. I know that's right. I know. I know. But let me ask you this. Is it at least possible? You know, you really know what happened on 9-11? And I start taking just little bits of facts, and I start mixing them with out-and-out lies, provable lies. But then I tell you, yeah, but can you really trust that news organization to tell you the truth? <laughs> I know they say that's wrong, but can you trust them? And now you find yourself in the exact situation that that kid was in, isolated, alone, not knowing who to trust. Everybody is against you. And you just want to feel something again, something real again. That's what happened. And as a society, we are being led right down that rabbit hole. And we're being led by that rab down that rabbit hole by people who are telling you right now, and not in the government, you can trust me, I'm your friend, and I'm the friend of the Constitution. I'm for freedom. There you have it. Now, of course, um, uh, Glenn was not saying that he is Satan. I want to make that clear. Uh, and he was just using 9-11 as his example. But you could plug in anything in there to get Glenn Beck's formula for success. We're going to have hyperinflation in six months. I think he was saying two years ago, three years ago. Then he was saying it again two years ago. Or, if you go into uh, 30 Rock, you will see all of Obama's workings exposed on the wall. I'm writing it on the, uh, on the chalkboard. This, this was Glenn Beck feeling a little threatened that uh, Alex Jones was encroaching right, his territory. Right, right. This is Glenn Beck talking about Alex Jones, but really, really talking about Glenn Beck, too. Hold on to me as we go. Here at Best of the Left, supporting the good works of others is our entire reason for existence. Since the beginning of 2006, I've been making this show to highlight what I consider to be some of the best of the truly liberal media. Now I'm working on several ways to promote the best progressive activism around. Ruminate for a moment on whether you enjoy this show or consider its goals to be worthwhile, and if you do, please consider supporting this work by becoming a member for as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year at the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. It's the donations of members that allow the show to continue and continue to improve. Thanks so much for your support. We showed you Alex Jones. He's a loot, right? Well, we're not done yet. There's another Republican lunatic, another conservative lunatic, I should say. It's Michael Savage. Now, this is one of the top three most listened to radio hosts. Now, look, all the radio numbers are fictional. Their, their rating system is insane. Nobody really tracks it. And they don't even track it nationwide. They track it city by city. And even those numbers are made up. So is Michael Savage really the third most listened to talk show host? Maybe, maybe not. But 
significant enough people watch him in city by city that he gets decent enough ratings that he continues and gets advertisers, etc. Right? And and obviously this message resonates with some people. Well, he thinks the Tea Party's too soft. They need to get a little more right wing. But listen to how he says they should get a little tougher. Listen carefully to the words. Uh, yes, we need a nationalist party in the United States of America. You have the rudiments of a new party in this country called the Tea Party. They need to restructure their party. They need a charismatic leader, which they don't have. <clears throat> there is no Republican Party. There, it's an appendage of the Democrat machine. You've got the uh, drunk Boehner on one side and the uh, quasi-pseudo-crypto-Marxist on the other who's really just enjoying the ride in <laughs> Hawaii right now. Okay. A nationalist party with a charismatic leader? I believe we had that in the 1930s in Germany. They were literally the Nationalist Party with a charismatic leader. Who says that? Like, is he using code words like, hey, let's restart the Nazis? Or is he that ignorant, not realizing that that's what the Nazis were called? And that they kept calling for a charismatic leader and got somebody like Adolf Hitler? That's insanity, man. And look, the Tea Party is down to 8% in this country. They just did a poll on it, uh, and only 8% of the country identify themselves as Tea Party. But he says, that's because they haven't gone right-wing enough. If you go further right-wing, then you'll be down to like 4%, but that'll be the best 4% in the country, and then we can do a nationalist takeover, yes! Man, just when you think you've hit the bottom of the crazy barrel, you get somebody like Michael Savage. So the other part of this is Obama's a quasi-pseudo-crypto-Marxist. <laughs> Obama who just made 99% of the Bush tax cuts permanent. Obama that never put any of the bankers in jail. Obama that gave trillions of dollars through the Fed and the Treasury to the bankers. Obama that did all these, in the last fiscal cliff deal, did $68 billion of favors for the corporations in America. Is a Marxist? And they love to make up words. What's a, what's a pseudo-quasi-crypto-Marxist? What the hell are you talking about? And that's because, like Alex Jones, Michael Savage is a full-blown lunatic. He has mental issues, needs to be on some sort of medication, and perhaps institutionalized. Instead, he does a radio show, and a lot of people listen to him and go, Oh, yeah, man. Nailed it. Pseudo-crypto-Marxist, communist-Maoist. Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, man. This whole movement is insane. And now they're talking about resurgence of a nationalist party with a charismatic leader. That is insane squared. Alex Joe's right now drawing that up on his chalkboard at home. And then insane squared is Mao, but then is Obama, but then is us. What? Okay. By the way, the guy who actually draws on a chalkboard, Glenn Beck. <laughs> and by the way, Alex Jones went so far, I just saw on the internet that Glenn Beck is saying that Alex Jones is a conspiracy to show people who are in favor of guns are crazy. Man, <laughs> that just made my mind explode. Can you imagine if Alex Jones is the conspiracy? Savage Beck Jones Pickham. I have no idea who's crazier.
This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Bradley Herring. Fox News analyst Peter Johnson Jr. was on Fox and Friends to discuss President Obama's second inaugural address. It was not so much about populism as it was about pandering. Um, and it was a very bizarre, disordered uh, priority of what our, our national interests were. Where was the debt? Where was the deficit? Where was the unemployment? Mm-hmm. Where was the issue of poverty in America? Perhaps Johnson didn't actually hear the speech. So here's the president actually addressing some of those very same economic problems Johnson must have missed. Our country cannot succeed when a shrinking few do very well and a growing many barely make it. We believe that America's prosperity must rest upon the broad shoulders of a rising middle class. We know that America thrives when every person can find independence and pride in their work. When the wages of honest labor liberate families from the brink of hardship. We're accustomed to thinking of media owners exerting their influence by keeping stories they dislike out of the news. But another perk of owning a media outlet is that you can put stories in the news that just so happen to promote your own interests and projects. It was that, and not any journalistic decision-making, that led to Good Morning America providing viewers with a very special sneak peek at a new park at Disney World on December 6th. Imagine being invited to a fairy tale, began host Cameron Matheson, and it went on predictably enough from there. Is it quaint to think that somewhere between the Be Our Guest restaurant and Ariel's Grotto, someone should have mentioned that Disney is ABC's corporate parent? At the end, host Elizabeth Vargas explained that this was just the first installment of what's really just a flat-out commercial. You might need to remind yourself that Good Morning America is officially part of ABC's news department. If that doesn't suggest to producers that what they air ought to actually be news, couldn't we at least hope that when they're shilling for their bosses, they at least let viewers know that's what they're up to? We have agreed with which we have agreed. And you think you have to want more than you The mission of this show is to aggregate and amplify the best voices of the truly liberal media, and now you can play a critical role in helping fulfill that mission. I pick out the best clips I hear to share with you, and now you can do just the same thing extremely easily. Now available at bestoftheleft.com, each clip I play is made available individually with simple buttons that allow you to share your favorites on your networks through Facebook, Twitter, by email, and beyond. By myself, I can amplify this content to thousands of people, but collectively, we have the potential to reach millions. No kidding. Become your own media activist by taking one minute to share your favorite content a couple of days each week, help more people plug into the truly liberal media, and be an integral part of this extremely virtuous cycle. Thanks so much for your help. You need more space. This Atlantic story is pretty funny. So last night, uh, I'm on Twitter, and uh, somebody just goes like, somebody made a joke about the Atlantic giving away free personality taxes. I think it was Rorty Bomb. And so I went there, I clicked through, and I, there was a story on the Atlantic about David Miscavige, the um, ecclesiastical leader of Scientology. And David Miscavige, according to this headline, leads Scientology to milestone year. 
2012 was a milestone year for Scientology, in the, according to The Atlantic, with the religion expanding to more than 10,000 churches, missions, and affiliated groups spanning 167 nations. Figures that uh, represent a growth rate 20 times that of a decade ago. The driving force behind this unparalleled era of growth. David Miscavige, ecclesiastical leader of the Scientology religion. Mr. Miscavige is unrelenting in his work for millions of parishioners in the cities served by Scientology churches. He has led a renaissance for the religion itself while driving the... What's that? Oh, I'm sorry. There was a tiny yellow box in the corner that said paid advertisement. Sponsored content, I think it actually said. This is how pathetic the media has become. Look, I don't have a problem with you. You want to you advertise, you want to put an ad on your paper for, uh, in your website for Scientology or I don't care what. And it's clearly an ad, but when you do an ad in the same format as your, as your content, I mean, that would be basically like me delivering a story on credo let's say like here's a great story about credo blah 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 their uh, their phones are terrific says uh, the ceo of creo and then just sort of following it up with like, that was a uh, paid advertisement no, oh, when you advertise, you that's should actually, make it explicit. That's actually too much disclosure, Sam, yeah. compared to the Atlantics. Unbelievable. Yeah. So uh, after about, I don't know, 12 hours of people just saying, you know, here's a real-time demise of a magazine's credibility, the Atlantic posts this. We have temporarily suspended this advertising campaign pending a review of our policies that govern sponsor content and subsequent comment threads. They had a comment thread. Did you see the comment thread too, by the way? There must have been Scientologists who were given previous because it was oh, all of course. it was all comments about how oh Scientology is wonderfully Scientology great. Yeah. seems to be really doing great under this guy. Well, in fairness, I had no idea how well Scientology was doing until I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, th- there it is, folks. Uh, the Atlantic. I put the brakes on quick, but maybe not uh, quick enough. And I just got to say, like, I, I know Scientology is a big joke and celebrities and everything, but if you actually read about this group, you're talking about issues like human trafficking, border, like accusations of basically keeping people almost in slavery, Labor at very camps, least like yeah. indentured servitude. I think like, it's not just a joke. It actually is a seriously unethical, really brutal organization. Yes. On top of that, I mean, I look, the... So as an Exxon, for that matter. But um, oh, sure. Um, yes, I have no problem with the uh, good exposés on Scientology. And in fact, I think there was one or two writers who linked to exposés on the Atlantic pages. Um, but that's not even the you know. It, it, I, I would find it just as reprehensible if it was you know Exxon having an excellent year this year. Boy, this CEO is really well, great. And comment section on it? Exxon is having an excellent They year. are having an excellent <laughs> year. Says, uh, says, says Michael after strolling in here with a brand new suede coat today.
David Miscavige leads Scientology to milestone year was an odd headline to see at the website of The Atlantic magazine. But maybe not once you noticed right above the headline a yellow box that said sponsored content. So it was an ad made to look like a news article. After an immediate and intense outcry, The Atlantic took it down, saying in a statement, we screwed up. It's worth acknowledging that in a profit-seeking, advertiser-supported media, this kind of thing happens on a regular basis. The Huffington Post runs columns that are really ads. The Forbes website does the same. NBC does news reports about an NBC sitcom. ABC does news promoting Disney theme parks. CBS promotes its Showtime programs on the evening news. And speaking of CBS, the company owns the popular technology site CNET. When CNET voted to give an award to an ad-skipping program called The Hopper, CBS stepped in to say, no way. Skipping ads might be good for viewers, but it's a bad thing if you run a TV network. The corporate meddling led one CNET writer to resign. And this, as we've argued for years, is business as usual. So the fact that the sponsor here is a religious cult that harasses journalists might be unseemly, But it's hard to see how journalism, underwritten by weapons manufacturers or giant oil companies, is all that different. President Obama came into office saying that he would, uh, you know, obviously work very hard on bringing diversity to the media. He said that he would have a strong stance on net neutrality. That's a very progressive position. He had opposition to media consolidation. We'll see how that turned out. And expand uh, broadband access. Now, he's done very little to expand broadband access since then. Um, And let's go to the issue of diversity in the media. Uh, How did he do there? Well, a Free Press had a filing on that that gives you a sense of how things have gone. Based on the information they had from 2006, obviously President Obama came in in 2009, uh, to 2011. So this is a little bit in Bush administration and a little bit in Obama's administration. But as you can see, during the Obama years, there was no turnaround. Let me give you the exact quote here. There has been nearly a 20% decline in the level of minority ownership since 2006 and a net loss of six minority-owned stations since the commission last collected data in October of 2011. Hmm, that doesn't sound very good. doesn't seem like there was much of an effort made to diversify media. Now, when it comes to commercial television stations, well, the record is actually much worse. Same filing. In a nation where African Americans comprise 13% of the population, there are only five African American-owned full-power commercial TV stations, just 0.4% of the total. This is a 76% decline in just six years. So great to have a progressive president in there that knows the value of diversity in the media so that you can get other unrepresentative voices uh, into the media so that they can have better representation and that our democracy can flourish with 
those extra voices and not just the voices of the mega corporations drowning out everyone else, right? Not wrong. President Obama, by his actions, and you shall know him by his works, seems to not give a damn about minority ownership or diversity in the media. Now, how about conglomeration? Though? I mean, he was against it in 2008, and he had people on his side as opposed to Hillary Clinton, because she seemed to be more in line with the telecom industry, but he was for change. And look, there's a perfect opportunity here, because Rupert Murdoch wants to gobble up the LA Times and the Chicago uh, Tribune. Those are major papers, and it would violate the existing laws on how much uh, power you can have within the media and how much of the media you can control in certain uh, cities, right? So easy, and Murdoch runs Fox News Channel, uh, which is opposed to President Obama uh, 24 hours of the day, seven days a week. No-brainer. All you got to do is enforce the laws that are already in place. Well, Matt Soler, who's a fellow at the Roosevelt Institute, reports, quote, Earlier this year, Obama Federal Communications Commission Chairman Julius Ganikowski proposed relaxing media ownership rules to allow Rupert Murdoch to buy the Los Angeles Times and the Chicago Tribune. Oops. See, this is the amazing thing about Obama. Why? Why do you help a guy who appears to be your arch nemesis? The guy who is conglomerating media in a way that not only hurts the whole country and hurts our actual practical right to free speech. Yes, I mean, you can go speak in your basement, but if you're not on TV, you're not online, etc., it's a little harder for people to hear you. And in fact, he lets the big media conglomerates use that as an excuse all the time, and the giant corporations to use that as an all, uh, excuse all the time. In, in, and it's not just President Obama, the whole government is rigged this way. For example, Verizon recently said that they have the right, their First Amendment right, to censor your emails. Why? Because the government can't interfere with how they exercise their freedom of speech. Obviously, the Supreme Court uh, ruled in Citizens United that because of freedom of speech issues, you could spend unlimited money and unlimited corporate money in politics. So money has all the First Amendment rights in the world, and that's not all, by the way. Fox News has right, claimed a right, a First Amendment right, to be able to distort the news, and they have won here. They lost in Canada, but they won in the United States of America. These are amazing. This is what they've perverted the First Amendment to. Furthermore, uh, it, my personal favorite is the ratings agencies, they claim that they had a right to give the wrong ratings to give bad ratings, because remember all the toxic mortgages, they give the highest ratings to AAA. Why? They have a First Amendment right to lie to their customers. Well, isn't that lovely? When it comes to our First Amendment rights, I'm sorry, uh, all the media has been purchased. In practical effect, your voice will be diminished because I gave it all to Murdoch. Why did we elect a progressive president who was bashed by Fox News 24-7 then turns around and does the owner of Fox News a tremendous favor by breaking the rules on his behalf, saying, you know what, no, 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 we're likely to okay you buying these newspapers, and what do you gain out of it? Well, look, there's only two possible answers here, which is, number one, on policy issues, President Obama is by far the weakest president we've ever had. All you got to do is be a right winger and go boo. And you're like, okay, yeah, what do you need? You want me to break the law for you? Okay, I'll do it, I'll do it. And if you broke the law, I won't look backwards, I'll only look forwards. I'll do anything you ask me to do, right? 
But that's not the answer. Because a guy that week would have gotten crushed in the last election. But he came out like a lion in this last election. And he beat Mitt Romney with a stick when it came to his own self-interest. He was actually very strong. So it's not just that he's weak by nature. It's that the system is set up in a way where money always wins. And it doesn't matter if you have a Democratic president or a Republican president. It doesn't matter that it appears on the surface that Fox News and, and Barack Obama are constantly at war with each other. The reality is they help one another all the time to get more and more money. Power and money rules Washington. Now, I don't see Fox News, to be fair, helping Obama a lot. Okay, That doesn't appear to be the case of the naked eye. But Obama is elected by the same moneyed interests that are in favor of Fox News, that are in favor of their ultimate goal for both sides, which is right-wing policy. Not necessarily political victories for the Republican Party, but policy victories. That's why after President Obama is elected, he starts talking about how he might cut Social Security and Medicare. And that in fact he will not raise taxes on everyone making about $250,000. What could he do? He had to do a deal with the Republicans. No, he had to do a deal where people that already have power and money get more power and money. And that is what dictates all of the decisions. Not just the grand bargain, not just the Environmental Protection Agency, not just the rules regarding Wall Street, but even the rules in, in the media where the guys who appear to be warring, in fact, all benefit when President Obama does Fox News this enormous favor. That's how this game is rigged, man. If, if there was any reality to the fighting that you see, Democrats and Republicans, that the establishment media loves to hype up, if there was any reality at all, this would be the easiest no of all time. Oh, you'd like to buy the Los Angeles Times and Chicago Tribune. Hey, everybody, did you hear Rupert would like to buy the Los Angeles Times? Oh, it's illegal right now, but you'd like me to change the law so that it's not illegal. <laughs> That's a good one, Rupert. Get the fuck out of here. Jay, this is Elka in Fort Wayne calling to make a comment, quick comment about the previous uh, episode before last on women and feminism. It was a great episode and, um, <clears throat> excuse me, at the end of the uh, religion episode when you were playing some comments, there were no comments from women. So, and, and it wasn't, I don't think, because women don't care to comment. I think we're probably still getting our thoughts together. Um, and one of the things that struck me as interesting was the comment that you had made um, at the end of the religion show about the conversation you have with your girlfriend uh, involving video games and um, how, you know, women are characterized and treated in video games. And, you know, you said she had uh, brought up the idea of, you know, we need to end violence against women in video games. But, you know, I, I thought about that and I thought, well, you know, something even that would take that even a step further would be to you know, set up games where if there is any sort of violence against a, a female character, 
then maybe there's some major consequence for that. You, you lose major points, you lose the game, you know, whatever. And uh, the more respectful, the, you know, the, the better the treatment toward a female character, maybe you gain points or maybe you win the game. So, you know, I'm just trying to think a little bit outside of the box. I mean, I am not a gamer. I am far from it. I could care less about video games. And, I, you know, no disrespect to people who are gamers out there. But, you know, I think if we're trying to think of things we can do, you know, our minds automatically going go to banning things. But I wonder if we reimagined you know how female characters are treated and portrayed and, and, and what the uh you know the rewards or benefits could possibly be for positive versus negative treatment of those characters in video games and maybe that could possibly be an answer so you know anyway that's my two cents it was a great episode um jay as always thanks keep up the good work bye-bye hi jay i'm a rape survivor calling from new york city I was raped at the age of 24 after having lived in New York City since I was 18. Unfortunately, I think there is a flaw in your theory. I thought I knew how to be safe and prepared and how to protect myself from sexual violence after having lived in the big city for so many years. And your idea of separating the perpetrator from the prepared woman does not account for women, like myself, who were survivors of date rape or other women who are raped by their boyfriends, fiancés, husbands, or other family members or friends. I think the young girl from Steubenville, Ohio falls into this category too. When a woman was with a man or group of men whom she trusts and is attacked, there was never an opportunity for her to prepare, nor would she have felt she needed to. The girl in Steubenville chose to go to the party where the attackers were, and I'm sure was not thinking that drinking with her classmates in a small town would lead to multiple sexual assaults. I was fortunate that I was old enough to know that what happened to me was wrong and to take myself to an emergency room where in New York, I was able to meet a savvy or sexual assault and violence intervention counselor who was there for me during my rape kit, police questioning, and who I was able to meet with for several months following the assault free of charge. I was told in counseling that my going only a month after my assault was rare, that most women waited months or years to seek help and treatment. I don't know how, as the cocktail of preventative HIV pills and piles of doctor bills and police work I had to go through following the ordeal, was exacerbating the PTSD which I still feel traces of. It was difficult to not think that the date rape was my fault as the NYPD labeled my rape as sexual misconduct since I had chosen to go on a date with this guy and if it went to court it would just be quote his word against mine end quote. Thankfully my savvy counselor tried desperately to make me see that anything that is done to my body that I said no to is rape. But when police and courts don't agree, and when your body is physiologically changing to deal with the trauma and stress, it's hard to believe that. I'm remaining anonymous as most of my family and friends still don't know about my rape. I'm still afraid that they will share the opinion of the NYPD, and unfortunately we do not live in a society yet where women feel they can speak openly about the crimes committed against them. My point is nothing can prepare anybody for the unthinkable. Hiding a gun in your nightstand cannot prepare you for what will happen when your home is burglarized. Wearing a seatbelt cannot prepare you for a drunk driver. Knowing which streets are safe or how to watch your drink cannot prepare you for what rape feels like during and for all your years to come. If our laws are not sound enough to punish a man who rapes a woman, then I believe the problem with the rape discussion is how taboo it actually is and that we don't hear enough from actual survivors. Maybe if women were more vocal about the anguish it causes, then the perpetrating men wouldn't see vulnerable women as an opportunity, but as their sister, mother, 
daughter who they do not want to damage beyond repair. Unfortunately, we live in a world where rape is joked about and the woman is held responsible. And there needs to be a larger culture shift, not just another responsibility added to the woman's plate of shifting her thinking. You can tell a survivor it's not her fault all you want, but there will always be that voice. What if I hadn't gone there? What if I hadn't spoken to him? Of course, I'm guilty myself of not being more vocal about my experience, until now that is. But it is incredibly difficult to stand alone when the reaction might hurt more than the already hurt person I am. Hello, my name is Mary. I'm calling from Portland, Oregon. I just listened to the podcast regarding sexual assault and wanted to tell you, Jay, that I really appreciated what you said about separating the preparedness issue from the assault issue. I spent several years working in our local emergency room responding to sexual assault cases. I met with the survivors immediately after, most often, and they were primarily women assaulted by men. And almost all of them expressed a great deal of guilt. And how I explained why they should not feel guilty is, was along this line, is that I do have the right to leave my car outside unlocked with the keys in it. And people still don't have the right to take it. Now, do I do that? I don't. But it's still illegal. So even though they may have taken a ride with the wrong person, had one too many drinks, I would look them in the eye and say, did you want to have sex with that person? And if the answer is no, and I said, did you tell them? And if the answer is yes, then they were raped, or if they were unable to give consent. second part of the problem, though, I do feel is a cultural problem, in that we have raised a group of people who really don't understand fully what rape is. It kind of seems like unless it is a stranger in the bushes drives you into a alley, then it's not rape. 80% of cases are perpetrated by someone the person knows, and the closer they are to that person, the less likely they are to report it. There's also some great studies from the college health world, and I believe this one was from Duke University, but I may be mistaken, so my apologies if I am wrong, but it was a great study of an anonymous survey of fraternity brothers, and the first question was, have you ever raped someone? And of course, the overwhelming majority said no. But when the actions were broken down, have you ever purposely gotten a girl drunk in order to have sex? Have you purposely kept her from leaving a room in order to have sex? Have you ever coerced somebody into having sex? Have you used any other illegal substances to make it easier to have sex? The majority of people, fraternity brothers who answered, had, not realizing what they had done was rape. So we need to do a better job of educating our young people, and even girls, so that they won't have this guilt, and that they won't fall into the group mentality when things happen, like what happened in Ohio to that 16-year-old girl. Thank you so much for the work that you do. I listen to your podcast every episode, and I so appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So I'm definitely going to get back to commenting on this subject as well as playing uh, more voicemails on the topic. But for today, I just have to mention that this is going to be the last uh, you're going to hear from me until after I have jumped into the freezing cold waters of the Potomac River coming up in just a couple of days. This is the culmination of my fundraising campaign over the last several weeks. Quick recap. 
recap is that I'm raising money to fight climate change. It's all going to the Chesapeake Climate Action Network, which is an organization that I know well and trust. And so uh, if you would like to donate to me on that, the uh, the official website for the fundraising campaign is keepwintercold.org. That actually takes you straight to the fundraising page. And then uh, my name is listed as, as well as the sh- name of the show so you know what you're looking at is listed at the bottom of the page so you can find it there. I'm just uh, a couple hundred dollars away from my goal uh, that I set of trying to raise $2,000. But in the meantime, I did actually win the short little fundraising uh, competition that happened a few days ago now. And so as sort of, uh, I guess, a thanks for that, I'm going to be riding my bike to and from the event. And so just to, to keep in mind, the, the temperature is going to be at or below 30 degrees between now and the event. And then the day of the event, it's going to get all the way up to 35 degrees. So that's, uh, you know, but of course I'll be riding in the morning. So who knows what the temperature will be then, but uh, I'll be riding about 15 miles to the event, jumping in water, getting out. Uh, getting nice and warm, changed, uh, and hope maybe some warm food even uh, before riding back. So huge thanks to everyone who's already donated to that campaign. I really appreciate it. It is definitely not too late to donate if you would like to. Uh, Again, just go to keepwintercold.org and all the details are there and my name is listed at the bottom as a way to click through and donate to my fundraising efforts. So I will be letting you know how all that went after it happens. Uh, But until then, that is it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to everyone uh, for supporting this show, however you do, whether you become a member, make one-time donations, or just by spreading the word to everyone you know and by spreading the word of individual clips that you particularly like through your social networks. All that can be done through the website, of course. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode. All that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Thought black and white, you took a Fun farewell to a friend It's not what I